Hi, I'm David Kaplan, and you're listening to the Sports Talk Live podcast. Enjoy the show. Welcome into Sports Talk Live. Sitting in with David Kaplan, I'm Lauren Holmes, and we're presented by your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealers. And as always, we are happy to have that. Our panel today is a good group of dudes. Jason Leisure from the Sun-Times, Hub Arkish, I mean, come on, and Gordon Widmeyer, <laughs> we are got everything covered. So let's get to the, the news of the day as it goes with baseball. Gordon, there's reports out there that there's a, a proposal that's going to go to the players tomorrow. Can we expect that something gets done with the players and the owners? Yeah, I don't know about whether it gets done tomorrow or even maybe necessarily next week. But I can't see a scenario where something doesn't get done. Uh, the, the owners have been posturing kind of behind the scenes and under the cover of the pandemic and, and, and sort of under the cover of the leaked information from the uh, proposals that they've made to the union and kind of let the union and some of its members talk publicly and put themselves at times in a bad light on this. That seems to be their negotiating position on this, or at least, at least their the groundwork they've laid for negotiating. Now I think we get to a point where there's actual real things to talk about. We've got the safety issues out there, the precautions that are already on the table. There's been some counter proposals uh, is my understanding. Certainly the, some players and, and union people have expressed um, some alternatives to some of, the, some of the details. And now I think we can make progress. My, in my thinking, Major League Baseball, the owners have a drop dead date on this in mind, whatever that is, first part of June, uh, where if they get that far without the union budging enough on some of the financials, they'll do it anyway. They'll push ahead anyway, and then they'll probably just try to put the players in as ugly a light as possible and make themselves out to be patriots. That's my thinking. Hob, you've covered a lot of negotiations between labor and ownership in, in football. What's your level of confidence that baseball can come together and figure out an equitable split and get the game back on the diamond? You know, here's what is so unique about this, at least to me, guys, because I forget anybody's politics or whatever you want. I think we can all agree that the most important thing here is following the science and, and keeping as many people as safe and healthy as we can. And I've been saying since these debates started, I don't care what the sport is, they can work out crowds and stadiums, no crowds, they can work out a lot of details. How do you make it safe for the players? You know, and, and I don't care how much money you make, I don't care how big your ego is. Nobody wants to take a real risk at getting seriously ill, maybe best case, and possibly even losing their life. And, and so when I hear the, the Ian Snells and the Bryce Harpers of the world come out and saying, I'm not doing this for a pay cut, I, I think what they're really saying is, I don't know if I'm doing this at all, which I think Ian Snell pretty much said. So. Um, I hear Gordon. I agree with him, knowing owners in various sports. I'm sure that's probably the tack they're going to try. But I'm just not overly confident that these players, regardless of the sport, are going to cave all that soon, at least until we know more about the science. I mean, you've got people screaming about a second wave, a surge, because some states reopen too soon. I'm not predicting it. I don't know. But as long as it's a possibility, if I'm a player, I'm not just leaping into this. And I think that's probably what's in a lot of their minds. Yeah, I think that, that Blake Snell's video, yeah, I think he speaks for a lot of people, even though people didn't like what he had to say. Jason, how do you feel like this plays out? 
Well, I'm with Hub 100%. I don't blame a single player if they don't feel like playing – or not that they don't feel like playing, but if they don't feel this is worth the risk. And you've seen some golfers, uh, some European golfers, talk about this already, that they'd have to come over here and quarantine, and it's a little different situation for them because they're coming uh, – they're traveling internationally. But they're saying it's not worth it. And furthermore, the, this, play, this union out of all the sports, this is the last union that's ever going to take a pay cut. This is probably the strongest union – of any of the four sports and and the people in the public like to cast this as billionaires versus millionaires fighting over some money. Well, if that's how you want to play it, I'd side with the millionaires over the billionaires. I I don't think that the players are going to be willing to take a pay cut, nor should they. Let me throw this in there, Lawrence. I I think there's enough players that want to come back that, that something will get approved. I, I think at that point, we go back to what Manfred told CNN last week, that they're not going to force any individuals to come back. And that's when you get into things like Mike Trout saying, I'm not going to miss the birth of my child in August, which doesn't follow any of these protocols that they've laid out. So maybe Mike Trout says, I'm opting out this year. And maybe a handful of other guys or even dozens of other guys do that too. I think that's a more likely scenario than the union saying we're not playing or then they don't restart. You know, Lawrence, I, the one other thing I would add, and Gordon can speak to this better than I can, but of all the major sports, baseball probably has the best shot, at least because most of the game is played at social distancing, you know, other than the umpire and the catcher and the hitter and, and the occasional plays at the bag. Um, but then as you extend this to the other sports, I can't think of anything more dangerous right now than playing a game of football uh, or, you know, basketball or hockey. So at least baseball has that going for it. But as long as there's still a significant risk, I just, I can't fault any of these guys for not wanting to take it. Let's, let's move to football for a little bit. I I thought this was interesting. And our guy Cam Ellis wrote about it. Albert Breer got Matt Nagy and they talked about how things were slipping last season for, for the bears. And he was talking about how maybe guys, we say they can't have, phones and meetings and they come in with phones and meetings or the meeting's supposed to be nine o'clock and it ends up being 901. Jason, you're around that team every day. What does this say about what was happening last season? Lawrence, I think this is just what happens with every single NFL team, man. They all talk about culture. Well, the culture's good if you win and the culture's bad if you didn't win. And we heard all last year about how the culture was good. And then after the season, after things didn't go very well, now some of this stuff starts coming out. Hub, what do you think? Well, Jason nailed it. I mean, when you're 12 and four coming off a five and, and you know, 11 season with a new coach, everybody is in lockstep. Everybody's going to toe the line. Everybody's trying to be part of whatever's next. Now you're coming back from being, you know, the biggest surprise in the league. You got the NFL coach of the year. You got all these all pros. Guys are just naturally, probably even subconsciously in some cases, they're going to push that a little bit. I, I, I didn't hear any of Albert's piece with Matt, so I don't want to you know, comment on something I'm not real familiar with. Um, and as Jason will attest, our access doesn't really allow us to know how much of this really was a factor. Um, but if it's a little bit, I, I think it's pretty much commonplace. If it's a lot, then, then Matt Nagy as the head coach has an issue. Well, Hub, just going off what we were told, we were told all last year that the culture's tight. The culture's airtight. Everyone's doing the right things. Now you, now when they can speak a little more freely, oh, now it wasn't. Yeah, well, by the way, are we talking Zoom meetings? Because uh, I got my cell phone here. I mean, are we not supposed to have these here? I don't know what I'd do without it. <laughs> no, it's, it's allowed. Like, I didn't put that rule in place because our culture – right here at NBC Sports Chicago is already pretty good. 
But but Gordon, I'm sure that you saw this with the Cubs, right? I was going to say that. I was going to say this. God, it's all of this echoed with what I've heard about the Cubs the last couple of years. I mean, right back to to the surprising 12 and four season. That's like the 2015 season. Did they win too fast? Was that part of the problem? 2015 and 16 happened so fast that what came after was this massive letdown and disappointment and spoke to the culture and then not enough discipline and, and so on and so forth when actually they weren't as good as the other teams at that point. And there was some of the problems, and I can't – Football's different, although when you're really good, I mean, it's a, it's a parity-built league, so the, the, the mechanisms in place for that will, will tend to pull you down, uh, maybe even more than baseball. But, uh, yeah, the, you know, when you, you – know, were you not built to last? Which is the real uh, – which were the real Cubs long-term in this window and which are the real Bears in this window? The Bears are even more classic because we're talking two seasons. One was surprising for how good it was, and then one was surprising for how disappointing and underachieving it was. One of those is probably closer to what they are, and it might just be a matter of talent. Hub, with, with Matt Nagy, are we finding out that between this draft and what he had to say to Albert Breer, that this is a coach that's maybe taking a little bit more control of what's happening organizationally? No, I, I mean, I think Matt and, and Ryan have been in lockstep since the day that, that Matt got here. And so I don't, I don't know that it's an issue of control so much because I think he's making adjustments. I, you know, it's funny, as Gordon was talking, I'm thinking, I, I always loved Joe Madden. I was never a huge fan as a game manager, particularly the way he handled his pitchers in his bullpen. But when you look at what he did in 16 coming off of 15, and we see these examples of where that can go sideways. And instead, he made him the best team in baseball. And then you look at what happened in Matt's second year. Now, in all fairness to Matt Nagy, it was literally his second year. I mean, Joe Madden, you know, it had been around the bend 15 times or whatever it was between the Rays. Well, not 15, but 10. Um, so I, I think I'm going back to what Jason said. I think a lot of what happened with the Bears last year, just it's natural. It happens with a lot of teams. That's why every year, no more than half the teams get back to the playoffs. You've always got two or three teams going from worst to first. And then you got to plug in. And this is where I know the Bears fans, the haters get nuts. They were three plays away from being 10 and six. I mean, literally three plays, two plays in the Raiders game. Uh, you know, another, uh, I'm trying to remember what the other one was off the top of my head. I'm not getting it, but it's not like the team collapsed. It's not like they fell apart. It was a lot of this stuff in the middle that it was a learning experience for Nagy as much as the players. That Chargers game, Hub, was that on, on your list? Yeah, yeah we got it. <laughs> they could have gone 10 and six, but they weren't a contender. They weren't as good as Green Bay. They weren't as good as the 49ers. They weren't as good as the Saints. They, they were not in that class last year. Whether they had gotten to 10 wins or not wouldn't have changed that. I do wonder, Jason, with the way that the meetings have to go now, if you're Matt Nagy, like, what is protocol for how you're going to do this over video? Like Gordon was joking about, but I, I, I think that there, there's something to it. Not everyone can be an, an e-professor. And that's what we're asking every one of these head coaches in the NFL to do. Yeah, well, I mean, at least in that case, it's even across the board. So the Bears will probably struggle with that, but so will a bunch of other teams. Um, but we're coming up now, Lawrence, to what would be OTAs and minicamp. And uh, there's still like a faint chance that they might have actual minicamp, uh, although I highly doubt it. But they're planning on doing OTAs over Zoom starting, uh, I believe it's next week, right, Hub? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that'll be a good thing. We'll see if they can get themselves to the facilities because some of them are starting to open up. We need to take a timeout. When we come back, 
is the NHL back or at least close to getting back? Charlie Rumeliotis is going to talk with us about whether or not Chicago is going to be a hub for, for the NHL to – not hub Arkish, he's with us – but for the NHL to get back on the ice. We will do that next on Sports Talk Live. Coming May 28, the Sports Uncovered podcast tells the behind-the-scenes story of Michael Jordan's I'm Back Facts, the facts that changed the NBA forever. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. And now we bring in our Blackhawks insider, Charlie Rumeliotis, to talk about the NHL as the NHL tries to get itself back on the ice. Charlie, what are you hearing about the plan that the NHL has out there to, to do a hub city type thing for the NHL to return? Yeah, it feels like significant progress is starting to be made. And there is a call with the NHL PA tonight at six o'clock, which is about this time right now. And What's happening right now is last week we saw the players offer a proposal of trying to do this round-robin format with weighted standings. And the NHL side, I don't know, necessarily agreed with it. And so the NHL, over the last day or two, countered with a different structure of something that's going to look like the top four seeds in each division of each conference get a buy. Oh, I'm sorry, the top four teams in each conference get a buy, and it's going to be a round-robin play-in series uh, for the seeds five through 12. And then the top four teams are going to have a round robin to maybe discuss the seeding. So there is progress being made. And I think there is some encouragement that a decision could get done probably by the end of the week or, or into the weekend. Do you think what they'll end up doing is have like, I've, I've seen thrown out there Las Vegas and Columbus where the, the Western conference plays in Las Vegas and the Eastern conference plays in Columbus. Is that what you're seeing too? Yeah, I do. Just because I think the travel, the logistics of it is very complicated. So you have to find these hub cities. The challenge is that the league is trying to transition its, into its phase two, where they're getting players back to their respective cities to have some sort of informal voluntary group skate sessions and then move into that training camp of phase three. But do you do that at the respective NHL cities or do you have to go to the hub to do that to eliminate that quarantine period? So that's a comp going to be a complicated process, but for sure it does sound like there will be hub conferences, and it, it just it's a matter of whether it'll be two or four at this point. For fans of hockey, they're prob they probably already know, but those that aren't fans of hockey, what type of visa and logistical situation are we looking at to get players back from all over the world? Yeah, it's a good question, Lawrence, because I think I, I saw the other day that 17% of the players are European players. And so a lot of those, those players have gone back home. And so trying to get back to the States and, or Canada is, might be a challenge for some, but also the U.S. and Canada border has been shut down for another 30 days. So you wonder if that complicates the process. NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly said that it wasn't going to impact the process or at least it was hopeful that it wasn't so that shouldn't be too much of a concern but I think it does complicate a little bit of trying to move into that phase two of getting players back to their respective NHL cities how much does it matter to the league to, to crown a champion and put the cup in somebody's hands yeah I, I think the NHL of all the major sports really cannot afford to shut down the rest of the season financially uh, because the players and owners split the revenue at 50 50 and if there is if they are at risk of losing a billion dollars by canceling the season, the players are also going to be very much impacted by that because their escrow is going to increase as astronomically. So 
there's definitely motivation between both sides to get a deal done. And even Gary Bettman said it from the beginning, our goal is still to award the Stanley cup in some form. And I know the NBA hasn't taken that exact approach because Adam Silver really kind of pulled the players and saw where, where their heads were at, but canceling the season has not crossed Gary Bettman's radar. Charlie, it didn't get past me as I was looking at this format for the playoffs that the Blackhawks would then find themselves in the playoffs as the 12 seed in the conference. That got me excited. So, so let's try and go back to March 12th for a second. What would you think of what the Blackhawks' chances would be in what, what seems to be a short series than usual for them to advance? Are, are they a team that could actually do something in this playoff? Well, I wouldn't rule anything out only because this isn't like a traditional off season where it's just like, okay, we're just not playing hot. Like guys haven't even skated. So when we come back, I have no idea what's going to happen. The top teams might be the worst teams. The worst teams might be the best teams. And some team might go on some sort of ridiculous run. But I will say this format really does favor the Blackhawks because the recent or the different proposals by the players had the weighted standings against them where the Hawks would have had to win like four out of five games in the round robin format just to give themselves a, a chance. But if they come back and they have some sort of play in series where it's kind of an even playing field, that's certainly a benefits a team like the Blackhawks who have Patrick Kane, Jonathan Tays, and Oh, by the way, a two-time Stanley cup champion and Corey Crawford in that. So hot goaltenders can really do you good in, in the playoffs. Have we found out anything about the structural changes of the Blackhawks? Uh, it's been almost a month since John McDonough was, was let go, are things still status quo? Yeah, it's status quo for now. And our colleague, Pat Boyle, pointed out last week or reported a week and a half ago that the organization is currently doing an internal evaluation and the, pro and the process could take a while. And I think it's the right play to kind of take your time on it. But at the same time, it's interesting because if you do bring in a new pres a president of business operations, does that person want to bring on a hockey ops person? And does that person want to evaluate everyone else in the organization, GM, coach, just everything from top to bottom? And so you wonder how the logistics could work if more changes are potentially coming. So we'll see how that plays out. But for right now, Lawrence, it's status quo. Read Charlie's work, the My Teams app. He's got the Blackhawks covered for you. And I know this is an exciting time for hockey fans. They're gonna to try to get their teams back on the ice and the Blackhawks are no exception. Charlie, thanks for the time. It's much appreciated as per usual. Thanks, Lawrence. We got through this without the lawnmower coming by. We did. That is a that is a goal of ours, and we did it. Coming up next on Sports Talk Live, college football is worth four billion with a B dollars to the whole university system. We're gonna discuss whether or not that, that should be a factor in it coming back next. White Sox authentic fans. If you don't have the My Teams app yet, what are you waiting for? Stay up to date with the best Sox coverage in the city and read articles from White Sox insiders. Bring the South Side to your home and download the My Teams app now. Welcome back to Sports Talk Live. Remember, your Chevy dealer has got your back. Your safety is their number one concern. To be sure your Chevy is running right, their factory trained technicians are standing by. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for a dealer near you. They're open and they are at your service. Let's talk college football and finance. If there's no college football season, it could mean a $4 billion with a B dollar loss for those institutions. Hub, do you think that that's driving the demand to get college football back? 
Well, you know, I think what's driving the demand with all sports is that we miss it and we love it and we want it. I think beyond that, though, when you talk college football, somebody's got to explain to me why you would even bother to play a college football game without the students in the stands. I mean, you know, it's a whole different animal. And, and the NFL, I get. As a matter of fact, I'm quite sure with what we saw from the draft that the NFL will start probably in empty stadiums and they'll do such a good broadcast that some people may want to say maybe this is the way we should do it because they'll put virtual crowds out there. They'll get the noise in. They'll pipe it into the stadium so the players are hearing it. But, but college sports, I mean, how do you do it without the student body? I just don't understand it. And so I have no great confidence that there's going to be college football this year. Gordon? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, as I, I agree with Hub. Um, and, and part of why uh, I, I think that way is because as screwed up and as poor decision makers as the NCAA is, has historically proven to be, uh, we're talking about probably the most trusted corner of American major sports in terms of doing what's right or at least prioritizing some of the right things. Um, you know, you're talking about team presidents versus team owners making some of the biggest decisions here. And so you're, I agree, it's tough to even conceive of having college football games when, when your own classmates can't be in the stands. I mean, at least philosophically, right? And, and maybe it's not a bad thing if this $4 billion industry that we're talking about isn't reined in a little bit more. Maybe, maybe it, maybe it, uh, the short-term result is some of these coaching salaries uh, go, go down. and you, you or, or the facilities things that go on, too. we yeah. got about 30 seconds left, Jason. How do you feel about this? Yeah, a $4 billion industry built off uh, unpaid labor. So I'm a little more concerned about what they're going to do with those players, how they're going to keep them safe. Are the, they're going to have to have those guys living on campus. And again, Lawrence, that big number they throw out there, that's only if it gets canceled. If they're able to play, this is so much more of a TV product than an in-person product anyway. For Jason, Hub, and Gordon, I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thanks so much for watching Sports Talk Live. We appreciate it. We will be back tomorrow. Stay safe, and we'll see you then.